It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is the role of a Secret Service agent? Why was this agency created? And what kind of candidates does the agency look for? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. We've all seen them standing next to the president in all black suits, sporting an earpiece in one ear. They are the Secret Service. The Secret Service was established in 1865 for a reason totally unrelated to protecting the president and the first lady, which we will get into in a bit. But its duties go even beyond that. When you get past that popular image of men and women in those suits with sunglasses and wires in their ears, the Secret Service is a full-fledged law enforcement agency under the Department of Homeland Security. They aren't just the world's most famous bodyguards. So what's it like to be a member of the Secret Service? What does it take to join? And what is the full extent of their responsibilities? Here to talk me through All of this is a former special agent with the United States Secret Service, Jeffrey James. Jeffrey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I am great. And I I do have to ask you this question. Jeffrey James is the most Secret Service agent name (laughs) I have ever heard in my life. Did your parents know you were going to be a Secret Service agent because they named you well? Well, they gave me a stage name, so it would have fit for a lot of things, but it ended up working out well for the the Secret Service, that's for sure. Well, that is, uh, it is for sure, definitely. So um, can you just quickly, before we get into my questions, um, can you just tell me about your own background? Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I went to college actually to be a teacher. Uh, I taught high school English for about six years before the opportunity came along to to join the Secret Service uh, in 1996. I went through, uh, actually started the process in 94 and was hired in 1996. Um, And I was in the Secret Service for 22 years, uh, retired uh, four years ago, and now I'm the uh, Chief of Police at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh. Wow. Well, um, thank you for all of your protection. We we like to thank you guys because you are the reason that we stay safe. Um, you, you said that an opportunity came up to be in the Secret Service. How does an opportunity just pop up for you to go into the Secret Service? Because nobody's coming to me saying, hey, Abby, I think it's time you join the Secret Service. Yeah, so um, with me, it came along as just <clears throat> I made a chance acquaintance with with a gentleman who was an agent. And at the time, you know, he started talking to me about talking to me about it and said, um, you know, why don't you apply? He said, we're looking for good people. And I at the time thought, oh, they'll never hire me. I didn't have a military background. I didn't have a law enforcement background. But what I know now is, you know, that's not necessarily what the Secret Service looks for. They want an intentionally diverse workforce. And I don't mean just diverse men and women or diverse uh, racially, but we want people from all different backgrounds. Um, and he said, you know, as long as you can pass the tests and, and uh, get through training, you know, they'll train you to, to do what you need to do. And um, and uh, not that people don't wash out of training because they do. Uh, but for the most part, we're if, if you come to us with a, a sense of team and a sense of mission and you're going to push yourself and get better, you're going to be successful. And uh, so after a little bit of talking uh, through that with him, I decided to go ahead and apply. And uh, 
the whole process took about a year and a half. Um, but then uh, I got a call. I was, like I said, I was teaching high school and uh, it was the second day of the year uh, in August. I got a call um, late August and they said, Hey, you report for training uh, September 30th. So I had to go in and tell my boss on the second day of school that I was leaving. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, are you allowed to tell people that you're going into the secret service? Yeah. So we are, um, what's called undeclared, um, uh, federal agents. So we're, we're not considered to be undercover. Not that, I mean, I've done undercover things in my life related to investigations, but we're not clandestine. So, so okay. we are able to tell people what we do. That must have been the the most fun conversation to have with your your high school students saying, "Hey guys, would love to be your teacher, but I got to go be in the Secret Service." <laughs> yeah, and at that point, uh, you know, I was still learning. I didn't know a whole lot about exactly what I was going to be doing, and, and they had a lot of questions. That when I came back uh, a while later, because the the school was kind enough to have me back um, for a little presentation once I graduated training, got a couple years under my belt. Um, I, I was able to answer a lot more questions a little while down the road than I was able to answer at that time. And so. you know what, Jeffrey, here you are answering my questions. So this is great. <laughs> oh, and I'm happy to be here. So. Well, so then let's just, let's break this down. What is the mission of the secret service? Well, what I, the, the analogy I always make to everyone is if you put everything the secret service did into a pyramid, the very top of the pyramid is the life of the president. That's far and away the most important mission the secret service has it's where the majority of of the assets go as far as uh, budget it's the majority the majority of assets as far as personnel are dedicated to um, are always dedicated to protection uh, but the secret service actually started uh, on april 14th 1865 solely to suppress counterfeiting so when we came out of the civil war about a third of all the currency in circulation was fake so President Lincoln got with the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, named Hugh McCullough, and said, hey, we need to do something to stem the tide of all this counterfeit currency. Uh, it's, it's diluting a dollar, and it's going to bankrupt us. So the president um, created a, a new federal agency, again, that he called the Secret Service because in his mind's eye, all he, saw, all he envisioned were these operatives going undercover into these um, counterfeiting rings and, and arresting these counterfeiters. Um, and, and they were incredibly successful at it. By the end of the 1860s, they'd really already put thousands of counterfeiters in jail and really reestablished the public's trust and the money that they carried. But if you're a history buff, this is a, this is a tragic but kind of neat story that happened here. On April 14th, 1865, the president creates the Secret Service that morning with no intention of there ever being presidential protection. And that night he goes to the Ford's Theater and he gets assassinated. <gasps> Um, that so, way. Oh, wow. yeah, the, the irony that he created that morning, the agency that ended up protecting the president is, is um, it's really something. And then we jump ahead to 1888. Uh, Charles Gateau killed President Garfield. And then in 191, Leon Cholgos killed President McKinley. So at that point, that's when Congress said, all right, we need to get somebody to protect the presidents. Um, you know, they, when you look at what the presidents were doing when they were assassinated, President Lincoln was at the theater. President Garfield was at the uh, train station uh, getting ready to hop on a train. And uh, President McKinley was at the uh, the World's Expo in Buffalo, New York. They were just out and about, you know, in the public like president should be. Um, so Congress said, yeah, we better get somebody to protect these guys. And in 1901, uh, President Roosevelt, who succeeded President McKinley, President Teddy Roosevelt, became the first president to get Secret Service protection. So Congress handed that responsibility to the Secret Service um, Almost by default, there were only two federal agencies created at the time, the Secret Service and U.S. Marshals. 
And uh, for whatever reason, Congress handed the responsibility to the Secret Service rather than the marshals. And that's a dual responsibility Secret Service still has. We still chase counterfeiters. Um, our footprint in the cyber world has gotten a lot bigger. Uh, we're, we're one of the uh, lead agencies in a lot of the cyber crime investigations. But the core or the, the main thing that we do, the, the thing that everything else stops when it comes to protection of uh, the president and the other people we protect. Wow, there is a lot to unpack there. So you're telling me <laughs> that the Secret Service started to combat the counterfeiting of U.S. currency. And the day that Lincoln created it, he was assassinated, but it still wasn't used to protect the president at that time. And then it wasn't until 1901 when Teddy Roosevelt was protected by the Secret Service for the first time. That's when the yeah, world so- kind of changed or expanded rather. Correct. Yeah. So we endured uh, two more presidential assassinations before someone thought it was smart to get, uh, what, get protection. For the what president. do you think was the breaking point? I mean, you have, you know, those that many. So three total assassinations. Correct. In 36 years, there were three assassinations. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if maybe people looked at the the assassination of President Lincoln as a as a foregone conclusion because of the war. Um, and I don't know if they, you know, and then they jumped ahead to 1881. And when, when President Garfield was killed, they maybe they saw that as an outlier because Leon Cholgos was a disturbed individual, uh, the, the man who killed the president. Um, but, yeah, when you're when the leader of the free world isn't able to walk down the street uh, because somebody might shoot him and kill him, you, you need to do something about it. you need to fix the problem. Right. Um, you this might be getting in the weeds too much, but. Why the Secret Service? I mean, why was an agency that was tasked with uncovering counterfeit money then the ones who are like, oh, well, you can protect the president? What what skills were relatable to protecting the president at that point? You know, I don't know if it was skills more so than it was logistics. Uh, so every everything I've been able to study and I've and I've looked and looked. I really couldn't find any reason. And even historians are a little bit unclear on why the Secret Service got the mission. But what I think personally is, um, you know, if you if you look at 1901, uh, the mission of the U.S. Marshals of securing courts and chasing fugitives through a lot of the unsettled territories for the western part of the United States, uh, they were kind of scattered all over the place. I think maybe Congress just said that the marshals are so busy with that mission that they have of really taming what was still the Wild West. Uh, maybe it was just easier to hand it to the Secret Service at that point instead of retasking the marshals with another mission. So then fast forward to 2022, where we are today. How big of an agency is the Secret Service? Well, in the in the big scheme of things, of all the letter agencies, FBI, ATF, DEA, uh, CIA, uh, the Secret Service is actually a small agency. So if you look at, um, there, there's really three um, three parts of the Secret Service. There's the agents. Uh, they're the men and women in suits that you'd see right around the president or vice president or whoever uh, we're protecting at the time. We have our uniform division officers, which is our Washington, D.C.-based police force. Uh, they guard the White House, the vice president's residence, all the foreign missions. They also make up the Secret Service sniper teams. Uh, there are canine handlers, uh, magnetometer teams. And then the third part is our, uh, our non-gun carriers, carriers. So it's everyone from our forensic scientists to uh, attorneys to our clerical folks. And in total, the Secret Service, with all three of those components, is about 9,000 personnel. Wow. That's not that many. And it's not. When you consider how 
the Secret Service has about 163 offices all over the country, or I'm sorry, all over the world. Uh, we have small offices in every European capital. Um, we reopened an office in Peru in response to the uh, the amount of counterfeit U.S. currency that was mm. coming in from Peru. Uh, so it that that 9,000 people gets spread pretty thin pretty fast. Right. And so what what factor, you just named those three different um, categories, who is in charge of counterfeit money then? Are those the agents or the those? Yeah, it is, correct. Yeah, the agents. So um, we have the field offices that are spread all over the country. Um, so say um, in Cleveland, they get reports that someone's passing counterfeit there. There's a, a an office in Cleveland of about 20 agents who will lead up that investigation in partnership with the local local police who are getting the calls from their local merchants saying, hey, I got this fake $20 bill. I got this fake $100 bill. So it's, yeah, it's the agents who are who are out in the field who are going to lead those okay. investigations. Oh, wait, something just popped up to my head. So I'm watching this show and it's about these three moms who need money and then they start creating counterfeit money. Um, and then eventually, once you get to like season four, the FBI starts looking into them. Actually, the FBI is trying to look into them throughout this whole time, but then it really gets aggressive in, in season four. So you're telling me that that's actually... Wrong. It's not really the FBI who's looking into this. It would be the Secret Service. Correct. And, wow. and that has happened. Well, it's happened before that, you know, the FBI gets a tip. Like, say they have an informant or say they arrest somebody and that person says, hey, you, you got me on this whatever drug charge or kidnapping charge. But I know this this person who's making all this fake money. Then they'll call us and hand it off to us. But ah. um, in fact, there was one point in my career, the, the large majority of my career, the last 19 years was all dedicated to protection. Um, but early in my career, I, I did an investigation um, where we <laughs> we found out that uh, the DEA had an informant who was giving them counterfeit and they weren't <gasps> telling us about it. And we it ended up being a pretty uh, a pretty big deal because our point was, hey, if I had an informant that gave me a pound of cocaine, I'm not going to throw it in my desk drawer. Right. And, and wait to tell you. So that ended up being a big deal. But for the for the large majority of the times, it's a very good relationship that we have with other agencies that when we get something that's related to their their uh, core um, investigative uh, bundle, we hand it right off to them or they hand it back to us. That is crazy. Sorry, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm legitimately in awe. And I'm also going to write a review about this show that it's just <laughs> completely wrong. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So then um, just in terms of, I feel like people typically think of the Secret Service when it comes to protecting the president, the vice president, um, the, the family of the president. So who exactly is the Secret Service authorized to protect? Are there more people than just the president's family? Yeah, so there's really six groups. So there's the president and his family, um, the vice president and her family, uh, any former president and first lady gets secret service protection for life. Um, their oh, children, life. yeah, their children would get it until they were 16. Now, um, a former president can do what we call signing off. Like they could say, look, I, I don't want this, this protection anymore. Uh, the last president and the only president I know of to do that was president Nixon for the last I believe it was the last 12 years of his life, he hired a private security firm because he didn't want to be uh, construed as being a burden to the taxpayers. Um, uh, I don't know if that was a product of the fact that he resigned or, or uh, what, but um, so we, yeah, we have the, so we have five former presidents who are still alive and first ladies, they still, uh, they'll get secret service protection as long as they desire. Um, we also protect any foreign head of state that comes to the United States. So any foreign king, 
president, prime minister, the pope, uh, all those folks get Secret Service protection. And that that leads to um, a pretty significant manpower crunch every September when the United Nations General Assembly has their meetings. Uh, the it's it's it was understood for my entire career that uh, you weren't allowed to take leave in September and the first couple mm. weeks of October because, you know, we averaged about 140 heads of state would come to those meetings and every one of them got a Secret Service detail. So it wow. was it was a pretty big manpower crunch. Um, we also protect all major presidential candidates. Um, so that gets to be a campaign can be a significant uh, man, time of man, high manpower usage as well, uh, depending how many candidates. Now, not every candidate gets protection. They have to meet um, they have to meet certain parameters that are actually uh, outlined by Congress. Like they have to win uh, so many uh, primary elections. They have to be polling at a certain rate. They have to have so much money in their war chest. Um, so if you look at someone like Ralph Nader, who's been a candidate for president since I was five years old, um, <laughs> he's never he's never qualified for Secret Service protection because he was never considered a viable candidate. Oh. But what you will see is there'll be times like uh, so two elections, I think it was two elections ago when there were about 13 candidates on the not, uh, not I'm sorry, candidates on the Republican side. It was um, Ben Carson and uh, uh Rick Santorum and, and several other people, there were about six or seven of them that were getting protection initially. But then once it's realized that they're not going to be a viable candidate, their, their protection is discontinued. Um, and that we actually got that response, that responsibility uh, relatively recently in, in our history. Uh, and that was after the assassination of Robert Kennedy in 1968. Um, there was no protection for candidates at that point when he was murdered on, on uh, June 5th, 1968. Mm. Um, so, and then the last group of people we protect is uh, really anyone by special directive of the president. The president can, within reason, order um, order protection on anybody. And the first experience I got with this was in 1998. Um, uh, the uh, our representative to the uh, World Bank, I believe, was a, a woman last name Barshevsky, uh, and I'd never heard of her before this. But uh, the World Trade or Trade Organization was having meetings in. Seattle and she was going there and there was some concern that uh, there would be demonstration activity and there was there was a ton of it. Uh, so the president ordered temporary protection on her uh, while she was at these meetings and um, so uh, so you'll have things like that where the president will say like hey um, you know maybe our, our um, the UN secretary is going overseas hey while they're overseas just protect them over there so it's oh, nothing okay. that's permanent but it's something that he can order or she or you know if we would have a female president here she could order would that be um, something um would that be something in an instance like uh with the supreme court and the protests that happens outside their homes if it ever did become violent which you know we talk about brett kavanaugh and the attempt the, the guy who admitted that he was trying to kill brett kavanaugh could president biden say hey we we want to give secret service agents to brett kavanaugh he could um and what would probably happen is i know from what i understand the long-term projection is going to be that the marshals will protect the justices but what the president could say is hey the secret service can put a detail together in a day and we really could um until the marshals get squared away and get their people assigned let's just have the secret service do it temporarily Mm. and and i actually did that in um Oh, you know, I'm getting old and names and years are starting to slip away from me. But, uh, <laughs> I couldn't a, do it. That's, that's hard, <laughs> hard stuff to keep track of. Uh, there was a changeover in the director of the CIA and the CIA couldn't get their protective detail together. It was going to take them a few days. And I don't even know the reason why, but um, 
but there was a, a handful of us that were grabbed to uh, to form the detail around around the new CIA director until the CIA took over. And like I said, it only took about seventy two hours, but it was just something something temporary that the president. Ordered. Okay, we'll be right back after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. So what's the difference between marshals and Secret Service? Well, the U.S. Marshals, um, uh, their mission is exactly what it's always been. They secure the, the federal courts. They'll do uh, protection on judges and they chase fugitives. Those are their three, uh, mm. their three big things. Yeah. And the fugitive component is, uh, is really big. I'll tell you, <laughs> if I was a criminal, I would never want a U.S. Marshal chasing me. Man, those, <laughs> those guys and gals are so good at what they do. Uh, look, they, they're going to find you. you. You can try to hide all you want, but you're going to slip up one day and make a phone call when you should. The next thing you know, you're going to have a, a bunch of black SUVs surrounding you. Um, <laughs> I just I have so much respect for the U.S. Marshals. They're a great, great agency. Absolutely. So then what goes into the day to day? I just curious, you show up for work, you put on your suit. Let's say you're protecting the president. What's your day look like? Also, on top of that, do the agents rotate? I mean, you know, if you show up one day, is it always you protecting the president or do you get a day off ever? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, sure. So. So you're when you're on the president's detail, you're really only doing one of three things. You're either following the president with what he does that day, which means um, if he if you get to the White House in the morning and he's getting on the helicopters and going to um, Andrews Air Force Base to get on Air Force One to fly to Chicago, um, you'll just be with him that day. Um, if he's staying overnight somewhere, there'll be a, agents already there ahead of time to meet you who will relieve you. And then you'll either make your way back to D.C. or if he's staying you know, a couple of days, you'll just pick him up again in the morning and do whatever uh, he does in the morning or, or for that second day. Um, the hard part about that is um, if the president doesn't leave the West Wing, uh, we have posts around the Oval Office that we circulate through and we call it ring around the Oval uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it would just be eight hours of moving from post to post. But, you know, I've always said any day in law enforcement that you could say you were bored is good. Um but it was always a lot more fun when we were out with the president moving around. So so that's one thing you'll do. You either shadow uh, the president for whatever he's doing that day. Um, the second thing you'll do is you'll be out doing an advance. So whenever the president's going somewhere domestically, the advance team gets sent out seven days ahead uh, for overseas trips. It's a minimum of two weeks ahead. So you'll go out ahead of the president. You'll work with that local uh, field office that you're going to and as well as the local uh, police departments there to set up uh, the security. So when the president lands in that town, uh, we've created as secure of an environment as, as we can. And we'd like to say we, when we get there in advance, we make, uh, we make every building the president walks into as secure as we, as if he was walking into the white house, regardless, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of where it is. And then, um, and then the third thing you would do would be training. Uh, when you're on the president's detail, you work four cycles of two week shifts. So you'll work like two weeks of day shift, two weeks of afternoon shift, two weeks of midnight shift, and then your seventh and eighth week are all training. So um, you would go out to, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland is where our training facility is. It's about a 250 acre facility. And it has all the things you would expect from a, from a law enforcement training facility. We, you know, it has ranges where we practice shooting. It has a, a big two mile obstacle course that brings the property 
Um, you know, we practice, we have a, like a fake city belt there where we go and we practice getting attacked. Uh, we have rooms um, in the gym where the floor and walls and everything are all covered with mats. And we just go in the mat room and, and we fight all day. Uh, you know, we practice, you know, disarming someone with a knife. Uh, we'll practice uh, if two of us are trying to take down someone who's, um, you know, who's combative, you know, we, we, we work on all those things, but it's just that the secret service, one of the, one of the best things they do is they put an incredibly high premium on training. Um, and the saying that I kind of put to that is, it, you know, in my career, you didn't train until you got it right. You, you trained until you couldn't get it wrong. It was just repetition like after that. repetition after repetition. Um, so many times, um, even before you end the six month basic training to become an agent, you've pulled a trigger 10,000 times. Um, and it, it creates such a confidence and a competence and, um, and, a, and assuredness in yourself that, that if that eventually com- eventuality comes to pass, that you're going to be, be successful because you've practiced it so many times. Mm-hmm. So I didn't hear in there at all where you get a break. <laughs> do you, oh, get, do well, you get a day off? <laughs> you do. Yeah. They, they try to keep everybody to five to 40 hours a week because, um, you know, very, very pragmatically, uh, if you work more than that, you have to get paid overtime Right. and, uh, everybody's budget conscious. So, uh, we do hit manpower crunches where, uh, you're going to be scheduled, you know, 12 days. I, I had, you know, I had times in my career where I was on the road for three months and you, you know, you don't get days off on the road. They have to pay you when you're on your road, on the road. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're, you're away from home and, um, you know, so even, even if you didn't have to do anything, it wouldn't be like being at home. Uh, but yeah, they, they try to, especially when you're not in a protective um, assignment. So we have people who work in our headquarters, you know, agents uh, who work in our headquarters in all our, all of our divisions. And unless they're pulled to be placed on a temporary protective assignment, you know, their, their schedule is going to be essentially Monday to Friday, nine to five. So mm-hmm. um, they try to, they try to keep it there. Yeah, keep it so everybody has some decompression time. Right, as they should. <laughs> you have a very yeah. inter- important role in protecting people. Uh, you should get a break. So how, how much money does it cost for uh, security detail for, let's say, the president? I mean, that this is taxpayer dollars, correct? It is. Um, you know, my my involvement in the in the budgeting and logistics uh, during my career wasn't wasn't very extensive and and I've been out four years. I don't, I don't know what the number is now. And and maybe in preparation for this, you you know, you can Google what the secret service budget is. I do know that every year that every year of my career, especially big years, like election years, uh, we would always go to Congress to uh, get an extension to our budget. We always ran out by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because when you have things come up unexpectedly, like, you know, September 11th happened, and, um, you know, all of a sudden uh, we're bringing in new pieces of technology to help with our protective mission. Like before September 11th, when you went into the White House, you went through metal detectors. Well, now you go through scanners that test you for radiation and biological pathogens and and um, other um, other small uh, even residue of explosives that could be on on your clothes or, or hidden in your person. So as that technology came along and we realized we needed to utilize it, that all takes a bite out of the budget too. So um, it is, it is an expensive endeavor and and it's not just expensive for us when you consider, you know, the air force 
flies him everywhere on the Air Force One. The Marines fly us everywhere on Marine One. Uh, we utilize um, military assets pretty much everywhere we go. Even, you know, we have some some great uh, canine handlers, uh, but, you know, there's only, I heard, and I could be wrong on this, that we had, the Secret Service had 40 dogs. Well, if the president has a trip planned where there, he's going to five cities, you know, we'll call in the military and they'll bring their dogs in for us. So, um, so the, the protection of the president hits a lot of budgets, not, not just the secret service. So. Right. How often do you work with other agencies? I know you had kind of touched upon it earlier when we were talking about like the DEA, for instance, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the military and other agencies, how often does that crossover happen? Literally every day. So, um, the secret service actually has liaisons who sit at the CIA who sit at the FBI um, and we're, you know, using them to help us gather intelligence. So um, the secret service is really not the gatherer of intelligence. We don't send people from our intelligence division out there to act in an undercover role to try to hear about a plot to kill the president, but we gather that intelligence. So um, our liaisons are always there all the time. So if the CIA or FBI through the joint terrorism task force come up, you know, they hear about this plot, they pass it right to us. Um, the military, um, you know, of course, the, the, the military aides to the president are, are you know, in that, um, in that bubble right around the president with us every day. But, um, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I was uh, assigned to um, set up the security for Gori Island in Dakar, Senegal. And Gori Island is about a mile off the coast of, um, of Dakar. And it's historically significant because when um, people were captured as slaves um, during the slave trade trades, they would be brought out to Gory Island and they were separated and that's where they were auctioned off and that they would be put on boats at Gory Island and brought, uh, brought to the United States. So that it's historically significant because that is the last piece of African soil that those people touched before they were put into slavery. Um, and several presidents have gone there and um when I was assigned to set up the protection there, I, I said, well, you know, we're, we're surrounded by water here and yeah, we can, we can land a helicopter here if we need to, but I'd, I'd really like some fast boats. And, um, you know, I, you know, if I could get a SEAL team, boy, that would really, that would really help us out. And, um, went to the military aid and said, Hey, is, is there a chance there's a SEAL team close by that they can shuttle down here? And, uh, the next day I didn't get one SEAL team. I got two and oh. <laughs> for, for um, a dumb kid who grew up in Pittsburgh to be able to ask uh, for a seat yeah, and get to them. Oh, it was, and I really said to myself, there should be someone smarter doing this. Um, but, <laughs> nah. uh, but but these men came to me and they're like, sir, here's here's what we're doing. We put the security plan together and uh, you know we were able to uh, utilize their speedboats to throw the president in if we needed to, and we could be back on shore. You know, we could cover that mile in about uh, about seventy five seconds in their speedboats, and they were also there as a as a force multiplier for us, right? If we get attacked by a you know thirty bad guys, now we have these professionalized uh, hardcore um, assets that that are going to help us. I feel terrible saying it this way, but they're going to help us kill bad guys. Mm. Um, and they're going to be there to protect the president just like we are. So, uh, yeah, things like that happen all the time. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. 
You know, when you tell stories like that, it really makes me proud to be an American because you realize how many people are fighting for us. The Secret Service, these agencies, the military, and we really get to just live our lives because we know that there are people and men and women in uniform who are protecting us. And and it's just such a a humbling thing to know as a person who lives in this country that there are people out there who are really fighting for us and and for our um, really high-powered people also. Um, you know, something that you said uh, at the beginning of that reminded me of what happened back in April when President Biden and the First Lady's sec- uh, Secret Service details were actually infiltrated by foreign operatives. You know, these things happen, right? Uh, do you think that instance was more likely a foreign intelligence gathering plot or do you think they were looking to possibly organize an attack there? You know, I. I. Don't, I don't know the intention of the of the operatives. What I do know is um, those those Secret Service employees created a situation where they were they were extortable immediately, and um, I'm 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 happy that it was that it was flushed out. I'm happy it was fixed, and I don't I haven't followed it long enough, and I really haven't asked any of my contacts what happened to the four people who were who were um, involved in that. I, I can't believe their career continued. Um, but it really could have gone horribly wrong. But what I do want to make sure I say is, you know, that that is such an outlier. Um, I, you know, I never heard of anything even close to something like that happening during my career. Um, we've heard we've certainly heard of attempts uh, to curry favor with people um, that were that were quickly reported and looked into. But, yeah, that that could have ended up being being mm-hmm. a bad situation. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm glad it worked out before it, uh, before it came to whatever result those, those two, uh, imposters wanted it to be. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, what, what kind of weapons do secret service agents typically carry? Well, they always carry a sidearm, just like any, any law enforcement officer would. When I retired, we were still carrying the six hour, um, it was the P239 pistol chambered in nine millimeter, uh, the Secret Service has since transitioned to a Glock pistol. Um, the protective details also carry um, MP5 submachine guns, and, and uh, they're transitioning over, so everyone's going to carry an M4. It's a little more, uh, gives you a little more distance with a long gun than the MP5 does, although the MP5 is is a, a really nice weapon for, on the investigative part, for clearing um clearing rooms, like if they have to do a raid, if they think there's someone making counterfeit in their home and they get a warrant and they execute the warrant in their home. Um, and we also had the availability of, uh, of uh, Remington 870 shotguns as well. But then our specialized teams, like our counter assault team, which is the SWAT team that travels with the, with the president, our emergency response team, which is this kind of like the, uh, the special tactics team that stays at the White House. They're made up of our uniform division. Uh, they're, they'll carry heavier rifles like M4s, M15s, and then our um, our snipers, um, who again go everywhere with the president, vice president, and also uh, are fixed on top of the White House. Um, they'll have uh, Remington rifles, and what's neat about that is uh, the body of the rifle is actually um, custom fit to that uh, to that sniper. So oh, if wow. they had to. If they had to quickly get on their rifle, um, they don't have to fumble around and try to get it like right in the pocket of their shoulder or get that right fit. It's it's essentially something they could just grab on, pull into their body, 
and it's a very comfortable fit and they're ready to acquire a target. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really neat that, that you guys have things like that, because again, your job is just so important in protection um, across the board. So that's, you know, you always wonder because you see these black suits standing next to the president. You're like, <laughs> what could, what do they have on them that we don't see? <laughs> that's always been a question of mine. Uh, Jeffrey, just kind of as we wrap things up, I, I always like to ask at the end of these, you know, just for the average American, I will never be protected by the Secret Service, but I can watch movies about the Secret Service and I can I can watch the president go give a speech and see you guys standing there. What do people need to know about this agency or maybe something interesting that people don't really know? Well, I, th- I think people what I mentioned earlier, people think it's a lot bigger of an agency than it really is. Um, you know, from what I understand now, there's there's only 3,000 agents. Um, you know, that 9,000, only 3,000 of those are agents. So it's, um, you know, it's a busy time for everybody. But uh, the one thing I would, uh, I would say the, the one thing I would want people to know is I met some of the highest quality just people of integrity, uh, people that I would trust my children with in an instant during my, during my 22 years um, in the secret service. And not that I liked everybody uh, because <laughs> I just think it's, it's human nature that you're not, but you know, but when it came to crunch time, like even if it was somebody I would, I knew I would never sit down and have dinner with. I knew that when, when things came down to it, if it was a bad situation, I could get back to back with that person and never have to turn my head to make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. I just knew they would. Um, and just, again, some of, some of the finest people you would ever meet, some of the most humble uh, people. We, um, the, the backgrounds of people were incredible. Everybody from um, former professional athletes to people like me who were teachers to people who came from the business world, uh, military. Uh, one of our guys, Ron Schur, was a, a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. Um, and he sadly, since he had uh, cancer, he passed away a couple years ago. But I mean, just the, the people that I was able to meet and be around and, and still call friends to this day, it's just, it's, um, again, it's humbling. Yeah, you know, talking to you again, I mentioned before in this podcast, just how proud I am to be an American, knowing that there are people like you out there protecting us. Um, And that's amazing to hear. Your stories were extremely insightful. And thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I was was honored to do it. I was honored you asked. And I'm, um, uh, again, humbled to to be able to, to share my stories with anyone who would care to listen. Absolutely. Well, I hope to have you back on in the future. Jeffrey, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about the role of a Secret Service agent. Number one. The Secret Service was actually created in 1865 to combat the counterfeiting of U.S. currency. Ironically, it was created the day President Lincoln was assassinated, but it would take a total of three presidential assassinations in 36 years until finally, in 1901, Teddy Roosevelt would be the first president to receive protection from the Secret Service. Number two, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of other government agencies, The Secret Service really isn't all that big. There are about 9,000 personnel and 163 offices all over the world. And number three, 
The Secret Service doesn't just protect the president. It's also in charge of the president's family, the vice president and her family, former presidents who actually get protection for life unless they opt out, foreign heads of state who come to the U.S., major presidential candidates, and anyone who gets special directive from the president. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the role of a Secret Service agent. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.